Hi everyone, this is Our Story, a podcast on American history. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jay. And we are two amateur historians who love talking history, love the stories of uh, what's happened in the past, and want to share it with you. Absolutely. Uh, each week we're going to try to find topics that we think are, are interesting. Some of them will be well-known historical events, and some of them might not be so well-known historical events, I think. Yeah, and trust us when we say we are amateur historians, but trust us that we are working hard and researching everything we tell you. Um, now, obviously, we're going to have a factual portion of the show, and then we're going to kind of give our opinions and stuff after we go over the events of which we are talking about. Um, we're going to talk about famous peoples, famous places, famous events. This is an American history podcast. Uh, it is kind of on your wheelhouse, Jay, right, American history? Yeah, I mean, I do love history in general, but I would say American history is probably one of my favorites, and I think the reason is, is it's really accessible to us, you know, living here uh, in America, living in New Jersey. It's great to kind of put an actual, an actual place with an event that happened so many years ago. Right, and as you know, Jay, I love to travel around this country and Oftentimes, I'll make a historical site the the goal, but that just kind of leads into going to great places to eat and visiting other great places that that particular area has to offer. Um, so, let's say I might be going to Gettysburg to go travel and see the battlefield, but I also get to take in the town of Gettysburg and wonderful places to go have a meal and, and uh, meet one really nice people. So, it's really a catalyst for me to go out and explore. The different areas of history. And we're fortunate enough because we both live in New Jersey, which has a lot of history. Um, and we're going to talk about a particular event that happened in New Jersey during the Revolutionary War. But before we start that, I also just want to say that we're not going to go in order, right? Yeah, we're just going to pick certain events uh, that are interesting to us, things we want to learn about or things we really know about, and things that we want to share with the listeners. Um, maybe sometimes it will coincide with that week or that day that we're recording. Um, which is fine, but we're, we're going out of order. It's not like we're starting with the founding and leading up to the current day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, um, you know, we're not going in any particular order. We're going to pick events that really kind of speak to us. And like Jonathan said, I think some of the, some of the places that we are going to talk about are places that we actually have visited. So really kind of in the more informal part of the podcast, we'll, we might throw in a little bit about our experiences there. And if you are interested in visiting these places, hopefully you could use that as a good recommendation. Right. Hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you have some interest in history, if not a great interest in American history. And, um, you know, hopefully we can inspire you to go visit some of these places. Or if you visit them, you know, interact with us on the Anchor app or wherever you're listening to us, you know, leave us uh, messages and stuff. And we're eventually going to get an IG up and Instagram up and maybe even a Facebook page up where we can really sure. um, interact with our listeners. Because we really want to hear from you guys. We want to hear about what what's interesting in your area and what wonderful things you've done in regards to learning about and, and, and going to the places where American history has taken place. Yeah, I mean, I think Jonathan summed it up really, really well. And I think that's going to lead us into our very, very first topic, which also happens to coincide with the date that we are recording it. It's January 2nd. And this this event took place on January 2nd in 1777, actually, I believe, John. Correct. And this would be the Second Battle of Trenton, also known as the Battle of Assunpink Creek. So, Jonathan, why don't you give us a little 
sort of prelude like what led up to to this uh, pretty important battle that took place during the American Revolution. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's an overlooked battle too, I think. So up to, at this point, in 1776, Washington is pretty much chased off of Long Island, chased out of Manhattan, and chased through New Jersey so he crosses the Delaware over to Pennsylvania, which leads us to December of 1776 and the freezing cold winter day we're having, you know, and we're going to talk about this another time, but, you know, the, the enlistments expiring December 31st, Thomas Paine writing the American crisis to kind of rally the people to the cause, Washington doing a last-ditch effort of the famous crossing of the Delaware, mm-hmm. marching 10 miles south and attacking the town of Trenton, New Jersey, to push the British, well, mostly Hessian, to push them out of uh, Trenton, New Jersey. So this is where we're at. We're talking about a full year of, up until December 25th, a full year of Washington just getting his butt handed to him, the Colonials retreating across, uh, first, like I said, New York, and then New Jersey into Pennsylvania. It's very hopeless. The cause seems lost at this point, and Washington felt he had to do whatever he could to keep this army together, to keep the rebellion together. And there was even thoughts that if the rebellion were to fail in terms of, you know, the army kind of disintegrating because they, they just couldn't muster up more volunteers of Congress kind going on the run and, and, and Washington fighting a guerrilla war from the Appalachians or something from, from the western reaches of, of the uh, colonies. But fortunately, he didn't have to do that. Of course, you know, like I said, we'll talk about this sometime, but the battle train was a success. Washington wins, takes a, a bunch of Hessian soldiers prisoner. And what he, what he proceeds to do, Jay, he crosses back over to the Delaware River. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. He does cross back over the Delaware River. And I think, you know, John, you, you did touch on something that really was key is, is the fact that pretty much for a year, the the Continental Army is on the run. Um, enlistments are expiring pretty much within a day or so. And yes, he crossed the Delaware. Yes, it was a success, but it really wasn't enough right at that point to hold on to the army. He literally had to get in front of all his men and deliver a very impassioned speech. Now, I don't have a copy of it, but I did read it. And he, he basically was saying, like, look, you, you are fighting for your freedom. You're fighting for your country. You know, beautiful words that, that he used. Uh, there was also a promise of, don't worry, the Continental Congress will pay you. And if you do stay on, you will get, I think, a, a bounty or a bonus. He, he did promise them. And from what I read, and, you know, Jonathan did go to the site, so maybe they touched on this. After he delivers this, delivers this impassioned speech, nobody really moves. And then slowly, one by one, they do kind of rally to him. So this, this really is, you know, like you said, it's a very overlooked battle. But if, if this second battle of Trenton doesn't happen, where would we be today? That's a great question. And I think to really understand the importance of this battle is Washington had one goal after he was able to keep the army together, and that was to drive the British out of New Jersey. Uh, I believe Mm -hmm. that New Jersey was completely controlled by the British at this point and might have been the only calling to have been completely controlled by the British at any one time. Now, of course, Boston was occupied, but Mm -hmm. Massachusetts was still, you know, especially Massachusetts, was a hotbed of rebellion. New York City was occupied, but New York was still uh, in rebellion. So there was this period where Washington felt he needed he needed to push the British out of New Jersey. He needed to show 
the rest of the country that, yeah, we got chased across New Jersey, but now it's our turn to chase the British out. So he comes up with this plan to, once again, cross <laughs> the Delaware River back into New Jersey. Uh, the, the seas are a lot less rougher this mm-hmm. time around. Um, and, and a thaw had come. And, and the thaw is very important. I don't want to say thaw, but warmer weather had come. Mm-hmm. And it's very important because of what happens after. So he crosses back over and he sets up uh, on the south shore of the Assapink River in mm-hmm. Trenton. Yeah, he does. And because uh, he, he is expecting, he is expecting, you know, the British to counter back because, you know, I'm going to assume here that really up until this point, the British have just really had their way with the Continental Army. I mean, let's not forget that at this time in world history, the British army, the British military is is known as the greatest army in the world. They, they just don't lose. And, you know, his first attack on Trenton, that had to be embarrassing. Yes, they could say he, he, he struck in the dead of night. The Hessians were celebrating Christmas. They were all drunk, this or that. But it's still, it, go, it goes in the lost column. So they're going to want to strike back, I think. So he does... Like John said, he does set up on, on the south shore of the Assapink River, or the Assapink Creek, I should say. Uh, interesting to note, though, that as they're digging in their defenses, I believe it's I believe it was the right flank, but but one of their flanks was actually exposed. He he sets up a defensive position, but then the boats that he needs to, if they do need to retreat, are too far away. One of his flanks is, is is very exposed. I mean, this this really could be the end of everything right here if this doesn't go correctly. Well, there was, it, it's important to remember that there were naysayers and people that he de- depended on as uh, advisors. And he put himself between the Assapink Creek and the Delaware River. So without those boats, if the British were able to get over the Assapink Creek, it would have been a doomsday for the army. Um, I think we need also mention that at this moment the British Army is stationed about 5,000 or 6,000 troops are stationed in Princeton, New Jersey which is about 15 miles northeast of Trenton. Mm-hmm. So while General Washington was setting up his defenses across uh, along South Bank of the Assapink, he had sent that was a uh, Colonel. Well, Colonel I, Hand? Colonel Hand. Mr. Hand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, a little, you know, interesting thing. Uh, there was another commander for this defensive line that he, he mobilized out there, but he got drunk. So Colonel Hand did take over to set up this defensive line uh, ahead of the, the defenses that they had along the uh, Assapink Creek. So as Cornwallis marched with most of his contingent, about 5,000 men, toward Trenton, Colonel Hand was sent with a smaller force to just kind of be gnats into ball with them mm-hmm. and to have little skirmishes along what is now Route 206, but um, I think it was called the Lawrenceville Pike back then. That's what it's called now. But mm-hmm. so, and this is important because, and you know, remember what I mentioned before about the, the thawing of the weather? Yes. Well, that's important because remember a week before at Christmas, you know, you have the ice, you think of the picture of Washington crossing Delaware, the ice chunks in the river and, and you know, the Continental Army lost two men in the Battle of Trenton and they were, they were lost due to frostbite, um, not from the actual battle. Mm. So the thawing helps out the Continental Army because the British Army is moving much slower than it normally would have because it was a dirt road. And you know, with the water melt, with the ice melting a lot, it became a very muddy road. So getting cannons and horses yes. and just their soldiers through the slog, plus the skirmishers that were you know, making them stop every few miles to, to fight them. And we're talking about skirmishers in the sense of they're hiding behind trees, mm-hmm. they're shooting from bridges, you know, things like that. They weren't just standing like you see 
uh, in like Napoleonic style where they're face to face and they're shooting each other. So this delay really helps Washington because he's able to set up his defenses. Yeah, I mean, his goal was he sets up his defenses and he wants to hold them off at least until nighttime because he, I think he, he kind of knows, you know, at this time in history, you know, armies really aren't going to attack at night. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, if you come at him with torches, we're going to see you coming from a mile away. You can't really sneak around in the dark, you know, like, like you see in, in modern warfare. Uh, pretty much when the sun sets, battle's over for the day. And I guess, you know, his feeling is, is, is if I could hold out, if I could prevent them really from crossing the creek into Trenton, you know, it's it's a victory. It's it's I've delayed them. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, looking up about Colonel Hand and, and these skirmishers, you know, like John said, yeah, they're hiding in trees, they're hiding under rocks, they're hiding behind houses. And you, you got to think... You know, when, when you talk warfare, I, I think the old adage is it's much easier to defend your home than try to than try to attack somewhere else. You know, the Continental Army, this is their turf. They know it. These are not professional soldiers. A lot of them are, you know, they're Minutemen. They're hunters. This is really their element. You know, the British Army considered the greatest army in the world in an open battlefield. And this is not what they were encountering. You know, some of the things that I read is is as... They were engaging these skirmishers and the skirmishers were falling back and then engaging them again. They couldn't see them at all. They got so confused. They actually thought that Washington's full army was was attacking them. So they actually tried to form up. They tried to bring their cannons up. And like John said, I mean, this is this is in, you know, really muddy terrain. So they are really being slowed down here. So it, it's, it's a brilliant plan, really. And I think it's also important to note that Washington's plan wasn't to hold the city of Trenton. This is during the warfare when if you capture the capital, the war is pretty much over, or mm -hmm. you capture major cities. The war. Revolutionary War changed all that because the British occupied Boston. They had occupied New York. They will eventually occupy Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. As long as Washington and his soldiers were still fighting, the war was going to continue. So Washington wasn't fighting a defensive battle to hold Trenton. He's luring the British out, and Cornwallis fell for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's interesting. You know, when you think about the American Revolution, you know, Cornwallis is probably the big name that you think of. It's interesting. He actually really wasn't, from what I read, he really wasn't supposed to be there. He, he actually had leave coming up. But after, you know, Washington's surprise attack on Trenton, they put that leave on hold. They gave him command of these forces. You know, so, so Colonel Hand's tactics were, were brilliant. I think if you look at it, you would say, well, how, how so? Because they kept falling back. They kept falling back. They kept falling back pretty much up until they got almost to the uh, Assunpink Creek and then had to retreat over behind, you know, Washington and his artillery line. But by slowing them down, you know, night's drawing near, and really what, what happens from here is the British try, I believe, three times to try to cross the creek to to come over to Trenton. Each time they are repelled by the American uh, cannon fire, and nightfall happens. Uh, and this is where, on both sides, you know, we have meetings. You know, Washington holds a meeting, Cornwallis holds a meeting to decide what to do next here. Okay, so just going, going back to uh, Colonel Hand. So Colonel Ham makes it to the Asset Bank. They cross the bridge over at South Broad between what is now, uh, well, now South Broad and East Lafayette and Asset Bank Drive, where there was, it was the only bridge on the Asset Bank right uh, at the time. Uh, there's a few more now. So the British, like Jay had just mentioned, charged the bridge and tried to make it a bridge three different times, and you know, all three times they were repelled. 
Uh, they skirmished across the bridge for a while until it got too dark and Hornwallis uh, kind of ceased hostilities. With full intent, Jay, mm. to resume hostilities as soon as daylight came. Well, fr- from what I saw, there was, a, there was a bit of debate. Um, you know, some said, hey, it's nighttime, our boys are tired, he's not going anywhere, let's hold off. There were some that were saying, no, you know, we got him on the ropes, let's go over there and finish them. Cornwallis, from what I read, did want to, but then sort of reasoned, well, everybody is tired, and really paraphrasing here, it's sort of like, we have the fox cornered, he's not going anywhere. The other side of the bridge, Washington is sitting down with his men, you know, his advisors, and they're trying to decide what their next move is going to be. And we come up with something Washington really gets known for throughout this mm-hmm. this uh, war. He tricks the British. Uh, he did it. <laughs> he did it to them in New York City mm-hmm. uh, when they crossed over to Fort Lee in New Jersey. And uh, he does it to them again. So what he does is he leaves a small amount of troops behind, mm-hmm. and they start fires like campfires and it looks like they're he has a march in a circle so it looks like they're drilling and preparing for the next day's war uh battle and cornwall sees this through his uh, spyglass or whatever they're using and he's like all right they're bedding down we're bedding down you know it, it's it's on it's on tomorrow morning yeah <laughs> and while this is happening washington doesn't end around he circumvents the entire british army remember the bulk of the force left princeton to to meet them in trenton to meet the American army in Trenton. So he circumvents them, marches into Trenton, and then the morning of the 3rd, we have the Battle of Princeton. Exactly. And, uh, you know, again, that could be, that is a separate uh, episode that we'll do. But just very briefly, you know, the plan works. Cornwallis is fooled, like John said. You know, you got to remember, this is 1776, 1777. You're looking through a spyglass. You see some campfires. Uh, I also read accounts, too. He told them, you know, basically take tools and kind of clanging them around. Make it sound like you're digging entrenchments, like we're set, we're setting in. And the ruse worked. You know, great, they're there. We're going to bed down. Tomorrow we're going to get them. He's already marching towards Princeton. He takes Princeton because a skeleton force was left behind there. And when the dawn comes, the small force that remained behind, they pretty much fled uh, to join up with Washington. So Cornwallis pretty much crosses the bridge to nothing. Right. And again, we mentioned that Washington was not interested in holding Trenton. So if Cornwallis wanted to stay there, that's fine. But Cornwallis understood that Trenton had no real strategic value. And because Trenton and Prince, uh, Prince are so close to each other, he could actually hear the battle raging in Princeton. But like we said, that's a story for another time. So thus ends the official uh, battle of the Second Battle of Trenton or the Battle of Assapink Creek. Yeah, and I, and I think really what's significant here going forward is, is, you know, in a matter of, I believe, 10 days, the British Army, again, the greatest army in the world, suffered three defeats. Um, so really what we start to see after this here is you know, again, you got to remember 1776, 1777. They don't have the conveniences that we have today. Wintertime comes. All right, war's on hold. Uh, you know, everybody's very familiar with Washington setting up camp in Valley Forge. This time around, he sets it up in Morristown. And because of the defeats that the British suffered, they pretty much vacate most of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like we, like John had, had mentioned at the top of the show... At that time, you know, New Jersey pretty much was the only colony that 
you know, was under complete British control. And now, because of these tactics, uh, really just guerrilla tactics, not engaging them in the open field, Washington was able to drive one of the greatest military forces, you know, out of a colony. And I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. Right. You're talking about early successes of the revolution, Lexington, Concord, and Bunker Hill. And then the British uh, evacuating Boston when they wake up surrounded by the guns of Ticonderoga. Again, another story. Mm -hmm. But from then on, up until Trenton, it's colonial defeat after colonial defeat. And these two weeks in New Jersey, these three pivotal battles, pretty much saved the revolution. Yeah, because, you know, don't forget at this time also, um, you know, the Continental Congress is, you know, they're looking for allies. One of their big, well, one of their allies that were going to be very, very big for them, I should say, was the French. French loved hearing this. You know, they loved hearing the fact that, you know, this little ragtag army really took it to the British. And, you know, it really kind of made them think like, yeah, you know, at that time, I mean, they were sending, they were sending some supplies over. What was interesting, one of the things that I read is earlier, when they would send supplies back over to the colonies, uh, the ships that carried them carried, uh, or I'm sorry, would wave uh, the American flag, the American colors. Now they were going to start sending even more supplies and flying it under a French flag. Uh, you know, two-part thing here. Uh, you see a French ship. Okay, not an American ship. We can leave it alone. It's also kind of a slap in the face, you know, basically to Britain. Like, no, we, we are now kind of openly supporting these guys here. So it's, it's really... Again, a much overlooked battle, but if this doesn't happen, it's it's ridiculous how much England and France fought each other during colonial time. I think it's pretty safe to say up until World War One, you know, because mm. again, Napoleon was French and the English was part of the coalition to stop Napoleon. So yeah, the, I mean, the English and the French were constantly going at war with each other, and uh, yeah, like Jay said, there's a slap in the face. So. Trenton 1 and 2 and Princeton, they made France sit up and go, okay, these guys are serious. Because I think before that, they were just like, oh, look at the cute little Americans. But now they're sitting up and watching. And later in 1777, after the Battle of Saratoga, a, a decisive victory mm -hmm. for America is when they decide to go fully. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the way events would fold from there on in, I mean, it's pretty much going to bring the war to a conclusion with the French coming in, with the Americans becoming much more confident, because really, like we said at the beginning, um, you know, they pretty much suffered defeat after defeat from New York all the way down, pretty much out of New Jersey. I mean, they were out of New Jersey. Enlistments were going to end. I mean, this was going to be the end of Washington's force, and now he's able to go up to Morristown, New Jersey, set up his winter camp. The troops get to rest. They get supplies. Uh, more importantly, you know, in places like Morristown and places like Valley Forge, they get to drill. These, you know, Minutemen, you know, these hard scrabble guys are going to be turned into professional soldiers to face a professional army down the line. Yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, so that's the uh, Second Battle of Trenton or the Battle of Assapine Creek. Uh, so, Jay, um, yeah. you know, we're going to get into our opinion section now. Sure. Last weekend, they did a reenactment of the Second Battle of Trenton in uh, what's known as Mill Hill Park, which actually, it's a small park, but it's situated like right on the Assapine 
um, right by the South Broad Street Bridge. Now, South Broad Street is a major road now, so they couldn't do the reenactment there. They did it in the park, but there is a bridge, I'd say, 50 yards away from the original bridge that goes over to Assapank, and it's, it's, in, it's in the park, so they were able to do the, um, the reenactment there. And it was really a nice, uh, you know, we talked about it. it, was a nice hidden part of American history that you really don't learn about, that you don't hear about, and in some ways was as important as the first battle challenge, you know, obviously we all know about because of the famous painting, Washington Cross. Absolutely, yeah. And they also did, as the sun went down, they had 13 pyres set up along the South Bank, and they lit them to kind of, you know, commemorate um, the the fires that were burning to fool the British. Um, so it was a really nice. It was a really nice experience, and, and uh, yeah, Trenton has Trenton has a lot of history. New Jersey is known. The motto, well, one of the mottos, is the crossroads of the revolution. Um, and if you ever had one of the 50 state quarters, that's what it says on the back <laughs> of the New Jersey one, Crossroads of the Revolution. Yeah, I mean, New Jersey, you know, John and I live here, and and being, you know, big fans of history, there is a lot of history here. Uh, you know, you have the the crossing of the Delaware, the first Battle of Trenton, the second Battle of Trenton, Battle of Monmouth, Battle of Princeton. Morristown. Morristown, yeah, which I, have, have you ever, did you ever visit his encampment up there at Morristown? Yeah, yeah, I did as well. Pretty interesting. It's, you know, and I think the thing is, is if you're not really a big fan of history, you're probably listening to a lot of this saying, you know, wow, you're sitting here calling the British Army the greatest army in the world, but with, like, really cheap tactics or childish tactics, they were able to, to they were fooled. You know, you have to remember the, te- the technology at the time. You have to remember a few things to consider. Night falls... You set up a few campfires, that's good enough to believe because you don't have, like we, we do nowadays, you know, you don't have all this light pollution. You had the moon, and if people were burning fires, that was it, you know. There was no night vision, this or that. So if you saw campfires being lit, you saw soldiers drilling, you heard them digging, yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to think, well, that's a small skeleton crew, and, and you know, he's really deployed... You know, he, he, he's going to pretty much circumvent us and, and do X, Y, Z. You, you know, and the British military, professional military, you know, they're, you get them in the open field, forget it. You know, the Americans found that out early on. <laughs> you just, you can't do that. So, you know, kudos to General Washington for really kind of thinking outside the box. I mean, he was a British trained officer. He knew their tactics, but he's like, this is not going to work for us. We have to do it our way, and it was very successful. Yes, it was very much a European model of war. Where they, I mean, the reason why, I mean, to look at it now, it's foolish, where you stand, you know, what, 20, 30 yards away from each other, mm-hmm. pointing your rifles and shoot, and then you wait for the other guy to shoot. It seems crazy now, but you got to remember, their guns weren't even rifled at the point. Rifling helps the, the bullet or the ball spin, which keeps it going straight better. Uh, you know, balls are going all over the place. You could aim at one thing and hit something 12 feet to the right or left. Uh, so that also explains the low casualty amount in this war. I mean, it's like a seven, eight-year war. Um, you know, I mean, we're used to huge numbers because of World War II and, and things like that. But the casualty rates were not that high considering how long they were at war with each other. The funny thing is, Jay, you talk mm-hmm. about drilling and learning and training to be a regular army. Well, then, after that happens, they, they do start to fight in European tactics. And the Americans hold their own, you know, and with the aid of the, of the French, you know, of course, we eventually win, win the war. 
Well, you know, and, and I think, you know, and again, you know, this is, you know, we're going off the books here. This, this is all opinion here. I think they would have to eventually do that. I mean, yes, slowing them down, annoying them, pestering them with these guerrilla tactics. Yes, that's good. You're not going to drive them out doing that. This is a massive army. And what I mean by a professional army is, you know, like John said, yeah, you know, watch any any film about the American Revolution. You know, you can even watch The Patriot. It's absolutely fine. Uh, and you see them standing yards away from each other firing. The British were professionals in the fact that once those bullets started flying and the cannon fire was flying, they didn't flee. They stood there. Men were dropping, you know, side by side. And they would hang in there. So, you know, this this is a determined army. So little, little skirmishes like this, yes, they're annoying, yes, they're slowing us down, but you're, you're not going to drive them out. So they did have to eventually become a professional army and fight their way if they wanted to liberate this country. Absolutely. Hmm. All right, Jay, well, that's all I got on the second battle train. Yeah, I mean, uh, same thing. I mean, it was a short, decisive engagement, but again, I, you know, I really hope that we brought a point brought uh brought across the point that this was a very key battle in the american revolution yes often overlooked um, yes i will say this yeah i want to recommend the book uh, and i'll recommend it again we do topics related to it uh, it's washington's crossing by david hackett fisher and it's specifically obviously about washington's crossing and, and the days after which includes um the battle of assapink creek or the second battle of trenton um wonderful book um and, you know, another good book is 1776 by um, McCullough, uh, but that doesn't, you know, because he's covering the whole year, I don't know that pays as much attention to the crossing and, and afterwards as the book uh, Washington's Crossing by Fisher. So no, but it, I, I think it, it gives a really good overview of what was going on just in general. So it's, it's a good place to start. Absolutely. Uh, another thing I would recommend is if you do like history, check out... You know, we got Google nowadays. Go on Google, look at your state. There's probably some pretty significant historical events that happened in your state. And, you know, I hope that John and I convey to you that, you know, while it's great to know these stories, to actually go there and see it, uh, see a reenactment. Uh, when we talk about Gettysburg, I'm definitely going to talk about, and I know, John, I'm sure you saw a few Gettysburg reenactments. I saw a few Gettysburg reenactments. It's amazing to see it, and it really brings life to these stories, these these very true stories. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons I love history is because you know, I always tell people that tell me uh, you know history's boring. You know, I said, you know what? It's not about the dates. I said, if you like a good drama, if you like a good action movie, if you like a good romance, movie, you'll love history because the best thing about history is all these stories are absolutely true. We're going to talk about some things that seem unbelievable uh, in terms of what people did or, mm -hmm. or what was done, and uh, it's all true. And uh, that's why I, I, you know, I personally love history because I love storytelling. I love great stories, and that's all history really is to me. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm really going to echo those sentiments. You know, it's it's some of the greatest works of fiction, but they are all absolutely true. You look at some fictional works. Some of you know some fictional works that you read are based on historical events, or you know take elements from historical events because, like John said, think think about this time. The Americans really in Washington's army. Winter is here. You know, you're living in a in a canvas tent. You you barely have any clothes on your back. You're barely getting fed, and 
you're just thinking of packing it all in, and it's it's the the gumption that these guys had to just say, yeah, we'll go back out there. We'll follow you one more time. And Washington making that speech, these men taking up arms and doing it, probably helped to lead to the development of our country. And it's like you, you, you can't write a better story than that. Nope. And on that note, Jay. Yes, sir. I'm going to say goodbye for now. And I want to let everybody know that we will be getting an Instagram up and most likely a Facebook. If you like what you heard, if you have any ideas for shows you want us to do, you know, leave it on our Instagram or, um, you know, contact us through the Anchor app if you're listening through Anchor. Um, yeah, like I said, Jay and I are just two guys that love history and we want to talk about it and share it with you and, and um, hopefully you enjoyed it. Yeah, and I also want to say goodbye for now and just echo what John said. You know, reach out to us through Anchor. Uh, no matter where you're hearing this podcast, Anchor should provide you with a link to uh, call in or somehow contact us. If there's something you want us to talk about, send it to us. You know, it's it's we don't want to just talk about the stuff we love. We want to talk about the stuff that you guys love, too. Thanks, everybody. And remember, it's not just history. It's our story. See you next time.